Last week we talked about building our kingdom or his kingdom. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Um, we, we are walking through our core values. I, uh, we're going to stay on this theme, this is our time. I, I really sense that, that you know, in our, in our lives we're given, given windows of opportunity. And I don't know about you, but I've missed some of them. There have been opportunities in my life where I could have done certain things or could have went places or could have um, gotten a better GPA in college. Uh, And you miss them. You don't take advantage of them. But the beauty about being a little older, being married to somebody who can force you to do things, is that... uh, is that you realize that opportunities have windows, right? And, and you've got to be able to seize it in the middle of that. And I really sense that about our church. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But um, I just want to encourage you this morning that even if it seems impossible, the opportunity is there. And there's so many parts of the Bible where an opportunity presents itself, but the circumstances seem impossible. Jesus tells the disciples, go feed all these people. And they say, what? You want us to run into town and buy food for thousands of men? And then they got their wives and kids. Are you kidding me? We talked about the, the man that was born lame sitting at the gate a while back. An impossible circumstance, but there was a window of opportunity. And I believe that's where we are. And rapidly expanding the gospel, God gives us a window of opportunity. And what we do inside of that window is pivotal. And so we're going to talk about those type of things uh, for the next four or five weeks. And so today's one of those days. Generosity. This is our time. We're talking about generosity today. And so... Unless you're in your Bible app, like don't 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 start like oh he's gonna talk about money. I'm gonna start surfing the internet because uh, this isn't just about a money thing. This is about a kingdom thing. Amen. It's about are we gonna build his kingdom or our kingdom, and we're gonna talk about that for a little bit. All right. Hey, you following along in the Bible app? Anybody do that? There's a link on Facebook we put up this morning, and. My wife proofread my notes on there, so they're all spelled well. Last week they weren't. And when I said my GPA in college, you went, ah, now we understand. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Why don't you stand up one more time because your legs are going to go to sleep. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Somewhere in the crowd, or someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Don't you hate it when your kids do that? Don't you hate it when one of your... We have three kids. I'm not telling them to share anything. You guys work it out. If you're going to get in a fight, shut the door. Break your stuff, not mine. (laughs) Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And there's so many things about that. If he's talking about the older brother, 
then he would have gotten double back then. He didn't have to share nothing. But this guy said, tell him to share it with me. I don't think this is, I don't think this is fair. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me, me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, the, the thing here is this guy saw Jesus as a teacher and, 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 and the way he viewed him, he viewed him as someone who could have made this decision. But Jesus says, I'm not going to make this decision between the two of you. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now this is Jesus' story. So he can tell it any way he wants. Now if we were telling a story like this, we would not say this part. We wouldn't say, and God came down and talked to this guy. But this is Jesus' story, right? He can tell, him, he can tell it any way he wants to tell it. So we see in verse 20 that God actually talks to this. He has an encounter with God after he's made this decision to just keep everything. Let me say this too. I don't want the first things God says to me when he comes down to talk to me be you fool. How many of you know the conversation is not going to go well after that? (laughs) Hey God, I saw you decide to drop down and see me. You fool. Okay. I think my wife's calling. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be in the kitchen. Tell my kids whatever you want me to know. But God said, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? I don't think that was a question that there was nobody to get it. But he's saying, think about all this stuff you decided to keep. Now it's just going to be dispersed out to people. It doesn't, they don't even care. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. He, Jesus was telling this man, what you've done is kind of futile in the scope of eternity. And so we're going to talk about generosity today. We have a, our core value is, our second core value is generosity. We, we have a little statement that says generosity rules the day. It rules my attitude during the day. We're going to look at that together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you change our hearts with it. We pray that you advance your kingdom with your word through us. Lord, as together we strive to be more like Christ, as together we strive to make, to make him known, to make him known all over the world. We pray that you'd empower us as you've promised. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. Why don't you be seated? I do want to encourage you to come out Wednesday night. Uh, we're going to have a great time together. If you've never been to a prayer meeting, we're not. Listen, it, just come out. It, it's not like um, we don't do snakes on Sunday morning. We're not going to do snakes on Wednesday night. All right. Uh, so just come out and, and 
When you have a window of opportunity, it's imperative to hear what God wants you to do with that window of opportunity, isn't it? Just run off and do your own thing and then pray that God blesses it somehow. No, we're going to make sure we're doing God's thing and then the blessing automatically comes with it. We talked about that a little bit last week, whether we're going to build his kingdom or ours. And when we build our kingdom, he confuses things. When we build him, his, he supplies the bricks, right? We had a great discussion in our connect group about that. So just give you a little background. Jesus had went in the, in the chapter before chapter 12, Jesus had went to a Pharisee's house to have, to have a meal and he's reclining at the table. And, and I don't know if you ever go to an arch enemy's house, like you just know they're going to try to get you when you're in there. Uh, but so Jesus voluntarily goes, he's no respecter of persons. He just goes and, and, and they start, they start drilling him a little bit. He starts, he starts, Jesus had a way with people that didn't think they needed him. And so he starts talking about hypocrisy. How many of you know that's a great dinner conversation? You invited me to dinner, but you're not really who you say you are. This is a Pharisee, and he had some of his friends over. There was also some teachers of the law there. It was a kind of a separate group, and they were the ones that taught how things should go. And so Jesus doesn't exclude them. He's an all-inclusive person. And so he looks at them. They say, hey, well, what about us? And he goes, yeah, you too. And so that's the preface for what you see here. And then he walks outside of the house and the Bible says that a large group of people, like th- a couple thousand people had, had, had pressed in to the point where they were trampling each other. Now, could you imagine this scene? He's already, he's already pretty much twerked off everybody in the house. But when they move outside, the people in the house start drilling him publicly with all these questions, trying to trip him up and get him to say something that they can all attack him over. And there's such a large crowd of people that gather together that, that they start to trample each other. And so Jesus looks at the disciples who are with him, and he starts teaching them. Can you imagine the peace that had to live in this human Full human, full God. A peace that had to be in him. Because I'd have been looking at Jesus like, come on, like somebody's going to get hit. I know it's going to happen. So we got to figure out how we're going to get out of this, right? Jesus like, no, no, no. Let them trample themselves. This is a teaching moment. (laughs) Anybody, any of you ever been at Walmart on Black Friday when everybody's running over somebody to get a TV and go, wait, 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 wait. Let's teach on hypocrisy and greed. Let's do that now. But Jesus has the uncanny ability not to be phased by what is going on around him. So he starts teaching. And and in the middle of him talking about some very important things, a guy screams out to him. Hey, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, man, who am I to be deciding stuff like that? Not that he couldn't. Not that he didn't have the authority. The fact that the guy was asking him to do it meant that the guy viewed him as an authority figure who could make the decision. And after all, he was 100% God. So he he could have made the decision right there. But Jesus took the opportunity to teach about greed. He knew, 
inside the guy's heart asking the question. He knew back in the house the problem with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He, he, knew, he knew the temperature of the crowd and what they needed to hear in the moment. And he knew it was a moment that he needed to look at his disciples and say, watch out. Watch out. This is, this is a human issue what I'm getting ready to deal with right now. And so he looks at the disciples and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, there was a, there was a rich man. Somebody give it up for rich people. If you're, if you're following along in your notes, the first note is, you're rich and I'm really happy about that. You know, because I don't think there's any inherent value in just being poor. I, I don't know that you get an extra ribbon for being poor. You don't get an extra ribbon for being rich, but it's a lot nicer to be rich, right? <laughs> Say money doesn't provide happiness, and that's true. <laughs> it's true. But money is a useful thing, isn't it? Gets you food. It got me two bananas this morning. My house has so many bananas in it right now. When we were coming out of the uh, Walmart yesterday, the woman said, oh, you got ripe ones and you got green ones. You're planning out. We were like, yes, we are, lady. (laughs) One of the issues in the American culture, especially the American church culture, is we all think we're poor. We all do. And, and I've, you've heard me talk about this before, and you're probably sick of it already, but I've had the privilege of traveling a, a decent amount. And uh, one thing you are not, and I can tell you this emphatically, I don't care what your circumstance is right now, you are not poor. You, you are not poor by any stretch of the imagination. I showed somebody uh, on Friday night a picture of a house I was in in Costa Rica, and everybody was like, oh, Costa Rica resort town. Nah, not everywhere. And so I was in a lady's house that you could pretty much see daylight from every corner, uh, every board, dirt floor. She'd have electricity, had a refrigerator plugged in. Wasn't as nice as yours. Uh, And her stove was just an open fire inside, and we were trying to keep rain from just actually pouring into her kitchen, full-on pouring in. And so we had to replace some tin and things like that. But um, we were talking about coffee. I don't like coffee. I like to smell it. Uh, but I don't like to drink it. We were talking about the exotic coffee. And I said, oh, I got a picture of a great coffee maker for you. And it was like a sock. And, and this lady would just keep pouring, putting coffee grounds in it. And I thought, when I was there, I just thought, Lord, the tools I brought with me to work on her house are worth more than her house. They were. The bag... The suitcase of tools I brought into her house were worth more than what she lived in. And I thought, Lord, you have blessed me. You have blessed me. So one of the things as Americans we have to get over is the idea that we're poor. Or we're all just middle class. Just barely making it. Barely making it. Paycheck to paycheck. Barely making it. I I looked up some things you can find out. If you make $50,000 a year, you're you're in the top... um, well, let me say this. If you make $80,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world income earners. Top 10%. You and Bill Gates. 
That's a true statement, isn't it? Well, if you make $50,000 a year, you make 10 times the average income in Indonesia, five times the average income in Mexico, almost four times the average income of a wage earner in Brazil. You're, you're wealthy. And you've heard us, you've heard this conversation before. You're wealthy. The issue is we just don't view ourselves as wealthy. Because our lifestyles are amazing. Aren't they? Think about this. Just what I did last night. We got up in the morning, took my, took my parents to Cracker Barrel. Nothing fancy about Cracker Barrel, is it? Get you some sweet tea and some gravy. It's my mom's birthday. So we took her to Cracker Barrel. My dad came along. (laughs) Wanted to know if we were going to pay for him. I said, we'll get you this time, but let's not make a habit. It's not your birthday. So all five of us and my mom and dad went to Cracker Barrel. I don't know how much it was. was 90 bucks or something crazy. My wife's like, you can order water. I'm like, we're fasting tomorrow. <laughs> I'm drinking sweet tea, drinking four glasses before I leave. <laughs> Trying to get my caffeine intake up so it lasts through the three weeks, right? We went that afternoon, went to Walmart and bought groceries, bought bananas. Drove 45 minutes that afternoon, that evening, to Frederick so that my daughter could play a one-hour soccer game. No, no, no. Half an hour soccer game. Then we drove back. Stopped at Lowe's. Got some plumbing. Then she talked me into stopping by Martin's in Hagerstown to get some ice cream for one last hoorah before we all started. (laughs) True story. We had chocolate milkshakes last night right before we went to bed. I got to make all those decisions. Didn't even blink. And you do the same thing. You do the same thing. We don't even blink. It's like, oh, we'll drop 45 minutes to play soccer game. They won 11 to 1, by the way. And I was still yelling at them to keep scoring. Put them out of their misery. Being wealthy isn't the issue. But it can complicate things, right? Jesus did say it's easier for a uh, rich man to, or a camel to get through an eye of a needle. And there's a, you can research that a little bit, but it was still a difficult thing than a rich man to make it into heaven. And he wasn't saying it's inherently because you have wealth. It was because wealth can distract us. Wealth can be a thing that, that we spend more time trying to figure out what we're going to do with it than honoring God with it, right? And so I, I, I listen to investment radio programs and all kinds of stuff, and I'm like, man, they spend a lot of time trying to figure this stuff out. So we spend as Americans as much time trying to figure out what we're going to do with our money as some countries trying to figure out how to eat. I mean, that's the true story, isn't it? What are we going to get for Christmas? What are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? While a lot of countries are trying to figure out, how am I going to get my next meal? But if I walked up to you or you walked up to me, like, man, you're rich. I would go, man, I'm not rich. 
It's crazy. I'm barely getting by. Barely making it, right? I mean, we're blessed. Got a decent place to live. But we're not rich. And so our mentality is messed up. Because listen, if you don't have an accurate viewpoint of what God has given you, then you won't have an accurate viewpoint of what he expected you to do with it. So if we put ourselves in the same class as the woman who's just trying to keep the rain out of her kitchen, then we won't see that he's given us an abundance to then be generous so that the gospel can go to that same woman. Because in America, we get the gospel over and over and over, right? Turn your TV on, turn your radio on anytime during the week. You can get your internet access. You can get over and over and over again. And I've been in places where they don't get it. You just don't pull you version up on your phone. I've been in places with pastors where I'm like, why don't they get this yet? Why don't, why don't they understand this yet? Why don't, I don't understand with the age of the internet. And then I realize, oh, it's $80 a month for them to get on the internet and they can barely eat. So just getting on the internet, man, you want to, you want to be a part of a good church? Get on the internet, hedgesville.church. Come, you can join me. You can be in Africa joining me in the United States. Isn't that a great thing? It's not going to be able to afford that. I thought if I had to pay $80 a month for internet, I wouldn't do it because I like to eat first because I've never gotten full on the internet. Maybe we'll just look at food this couple of weeks on the internet. So you notice that when Jesus starts out this story, he doesn't say the evil rich man. He doesn't say that, does he? He just said there was a rich man. There was a rich man. Was it good or bad? Just a rich man, just just a guy who had wealth. And and so I think you have. We've talked about this before. I think you have two different types of people. You have people who um, who are prosperity gospel, and hopefully there's three. There's in the middle of the road, which I hope I run down. But there's prosperity gospel that says um, use the gospel to get wealth, and that's the same thing as people who who use sin to get wealth. I think. That's not what the gospel was intended for, just to get wealthy. Prosperity gospel. You, you give, like the TV preacher prays on the, your desire to have more. And so he says, oh, sow the seed into me, and then I'll dish, then God will dish more money out to you. For what? Well, I, I want something more, and so I'm willing to give this guy money, whether he's a crook or not, because I think if I give this guy money, he's going to give me more money to get what I want. I heard a guy say one time, well, if that works, why doesn't he tithe to me? Why doesn't the guy on the TV tithe to me? So write a letter back to him. And then there's, on the, on the flip side of that, there's the poverty gospel that says, you know, only the poor people can make it into heaven. You know. If you're rich, you're evil automatically. Jesus never makes a distinction. He just says he was a wealthy guy. Where this story starts to go south is when he, his wealth is increased. Now, I just saw uh, the other day, um, uh, I read it yesterday morning, that the founder of Facebook made $5 billion dollars 
the first month of this year. I mean, I'm making money. We're, we're, we're kind of, you know, he's just a tick above me. Just, I couldn't believe they didn't write that article about me. <laughs> that's hard to fathom, isn't it? I don't know whether that's good or bad. I don't know the guy. So, so let, let, me, let me do this. Don't hate rich people. Because Jesus didn't say to Because at the end of the day, compared to the world, you'd, be, you'd have to hate yourself in that group, right? So don't just have a dislike for people who have wealth. I, I learned uh, years ago, when, when people do well, just encourage them. I'm so happy for you. I'm not jealous of you. I want you to make it. I want you to make it. Then I want you to come to my church. <laughs> because I believe if you make it, then the gospel can make it. Right? I don't, it's not about anybody getting a more salary or not. No, no. I believe if you're blessed, then the gospel can go forward. That's what I believe. So watch what happens. This guy's wealthy already. Fine, wealthy. And then the Bible says that the ground produced a large crop in abundance that, that even in his wealth at the moment, he didn't have time. To, he didn't have any place to store this extra. So can you imagine? This, is, this, was, a, this was an awesome year. The thing that Jesus uh, points out about this guy was that he had no plan on what to do with it. He had no plan on how to use it or what to do with it. It just says, it just says that he had all this increase. And he thought to himself, what shall I do now? You ever come into a sum of money and you were just like, I ain't got no idea. I'm going to buy a hundred Nerf guns. <laughs> That's just on my mind because every time we walk into a store, my son's like, hey, look at this, dad, put it away. More Nerf guns. My goodness, we already got whelps all over us. <laughs> I have no place to store my crops. Let me say this. If you don't have a plan for abundance, then it will never seem like abundance. Do you hear that? If you don't have a plan up front for when God gives you an abundance, it'll never seem like you have an abundance. Because I got a plan for the extra already, right? Right? I got a plan for the extra already. Oh, you know what? Um, God, 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 you blessed me. Or oh, this extra money come in and, uh, and w- w- you know, we had plans for a new sofa. Lord, it's important. The one I got's fine, but it's not new. And so there, there's a little bit of extra coming in, but it's really not extra because we needed a sofa. And you just, you just have to understand, Lord, that that sofa meant the world to my wife. And, you, and I know you of all people know how important it is. I know, Lord, that you understand that, that it's really not extra because I've got this sofa issue see the thing about the people of the people of god is is that we talked last week about whether we're going to build his kingdom or our kingdom right so so it's this thing where i've got 
extra. Now what do I do with the extra? Because really, if we're really honest in here, all of our needs are met. Is that correct? All of our needs are, you can look at my waistline and say, I'm not going without. So, so if all of our needs are met, then we're really talking about how do we steward the rest of it. Now, before, before you start looking at me going, oh, he's going to tell me I can't drive my car. That's not what I'm saying. And there is nobody in here that can judge what that line is for you. See, that's the beauty about this. I don't have to do that. I, I've, I've seen, I've had friends that, that were in some churches that they, he actually had a guy come into his house and say, your house is too big. You know what I would have said to him? Then get out of it. <laughs> if this is my house being uncomfortable with you, is that bad? Then leave. You see, I can't draw that line for you. I don't know what it is. That's something you figure out between you and God, right? So you come pulling up here in a $100,000 car? I don't care. As long as you let me ride in it. <laughs> oh, you going to bless me? With a ride? I'm not the judge of that stuff. And no one else in here is. Somebody say amen. Thank the Lord for that. Right? I don't have enough time to judge you. But the issue is, is that God is the judge of that. And the closer in relationship I am to him then the more time I should spend thinking about what the excess, what I do with the excess, right? Lord, you've provided all of my needs according to your riches and glory, and you have provided by your sovereignty and by your divine will that I would grow up and live in a place where I have unbelievable abundance at my disposal. And you have given me stainless steel appliances, and I've got two ice makers in my refrigerator, and it is unbelievable. What would you have me do with the ice? i got too much ice, Lord. But there's a moment in our walk with Christ where we have to determine, like we talked last week, will it be his kingdom or my kingdom? Where you have to have that conversation because you don't want him coming down at the end after we built our own kingdom going, hey, that was a foolish thing to do. I'd rather hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. Oh, you've been faithful with what I gave you. You realized I gave you more than others. You realized that I blessed you above 90% of the human beings that walk the face of the earth. You realize that. And so you realize that faithfulness meant to be faithful to my kingdom. So I'm not going to use the term fool here. I'm going to use the term reward. Now, enter into your reward. That's what I want to hear. So what I have to do is have a plan for the excess, right? God, how can I build your kingdom? How can I make your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? How can I, how can I make your will done here? Lord, how can the abundance that you provided for me make the gospel go forward quicker? You know what I was thinking this year? If the gospel went forward as fast as my waistline did, man, there'd be people all over the place just in a brand new relationship with Jesus. 
I put some weight on this year. I'm praying by the strength and power of God that not eating for three weeks will help that. (laughs) The ground produced an abundance, but there was no plan. When there isn't a plan, we default to ourselves. Right? The question here is when we have all we need, what is it that we really want? When we have all we need, then what is it that we really want? That's a dividing line. Do I want what you want? Or do I want what I want? Now, I already know what I want. I already know what I want. And I want it bad. It's on my Amazon shopping list. The Lord knows it. But here's the thing. He says, if you focus on this, then I'm not afraid for you to have this. But what happens is we get those things crossed up in the middle, don't we? We focus on this and wonder why that doesn't happen. We focus on, Lord, I I, I want you to give me what I want, but I also want to see the gospel go forward. It's not a big deal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things that we worry about. What we wear, what we eat, where we live, how we get there. All these things that we worry about. He said, and they will be. Seek first. Colossians 3, 5. Paul writes to the church there and it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and what else? Greed, which is idolatry. You know how we get our how, how we how we get this plan right? We put away greed, the desire for more. We're doing that the next three weeks with food. We are. We're saying, Lord, I'm putting away my desire for a big, fat, juicy ribeye in order to put your kingdom first in my life for these next three weeks. Now, what, what I'm hoping comes out of that is that then the ribeye doesn't become your God after those three weeks. <laughs> but that we learn something in the next three weeks by saying your kingdom first, even over what I eat, so I'm putting your kingdom first above even what I... Oh, see, now we're getting radical. Now it's not just what we want. We're saying, I'm putting your kingdom first even over what I need. Oh, that's a change, isn't it? That's totally different. And so I'm saying, Lord, I'm going to put you first. And out of this three weeks, my prayer is, is that on the fourth week, I'd still be able to what? Put you first. And he's... You say, well, these spiritual disciplines, man, they don't make any sense. And, and they don't. You're right. That's not eating. Put God first. Because I'm, I'm saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I want to know what you have to say in this situation. So I'm willing to set aside even something I may need in order to get what I really need. And so I'm praying that after the fourth week, the fifth week, the sixth week, that you're waking up in the morning going, you know what? It's what he needs. It's what the gospel needs. It's what the gospel is going forward. I'm going to create the plan for my life around what that the need is there and not around what my need is because God says if I'll put that first, then he'll make sure I never go without. 
Matter of fact, we, we say it here all the time. Paul says, if you will be generous first, if you'll have a heart of generosity, then he'll make sure you have an abundance. Now, just in case, I am, I am, listen, I'm not the preacher that's like, well, them rich people, they're, they're all gonna suffer. Well, well, I'm a realist when it comes to this. I don't see them suffering. There's a way to get money and not serve God. I'm gonna just be real about that, okay? I'm not going to say, well, you'll never get money if you don't serve God. Well, you might get money. You might get more money not serving God. Go to the same job. A guy, a lot of cheats and seals right beside you, makes more money than you do. And you, you walk in every day wondering how that happens. It's easy. He lies, cheats, and steals. How does that not work? You're over here being honest about everything. Wondering why, wondering why you're not being blessed. That's because you've made the wrong definition of what blessing looks like. And so what we do is we compare ourselves. We say, or, or, or we'll come in as a church and say, there's no, there's no future in that. And look, this guy had enough time to build barns and build his city, build his, build his kingdom and fill them up. He had enough time to do that. He said, I'm going to sit around and do nothing. Which brings us to our next deal. What's your motivation? What's your motivation? God's blessed me so now I can do nothing. That's what he said, right? He said, man, I can eat, drink, and be happy. That's all we want, isn't it? Just a little food and drink, a little happiness. Lord, I just need another $100,000 and my life will be so happy. That's what this guy said. I'm going to be happy now. I'll sit around and do nothing. Somebody else can bring. You ever seen the movie Wally? Where everybody just sits around and does nothing? Nobody was attractive then. Did you notice that? Sitting around doing nothing. How is it that the devil can convince us that happiness is sitting around doing nothing? How is it? From the very beginning, he said, go have dominion over all the earth. Go do something. And, and the devil always entices us with doing nothing. Now, don't get, convinced, don't get confused about rest, vacation, and a lifetime of doing nothing. Don't get that confused. You need to go on vacation. You need, to, you need to have a rest. You need to take a day, a week, and do nothing. You do, but you don't need a lifestyle of doing nothing. And so the motivation for him keeping it all was so that he could do nothing at the end. Now, I also want to say that there's seasons in life. If you're retired here, I'm not talking about you. Like, man, I just retired last year. Now he's, now he's getting on me for doing nothing. That's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. There's seasons of life where some people can do physical labor, other people can do mental labor. But your motivation is not to sit around and do nothing, right? Paul, towards the end of his life, he writes to Philippian church, he said, man, I keep pressing on. I keep pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Am I physically able to do as much as I used to? Absolutely not. But this mind is sharp and I'm going to keep going and going. I'm going to keep writing letters. I'm going to keep witnessing. I'm going to keep telling people about the grace and goodness of God. And I'm going to keep going right to the very end because he didn't tell me to take a break. He didn't tell me just to accrue it all so I could do nothing now. 
And that's where this guy made his fatal error. His motivation was off. You know what the, the, the neat thing about it is after Jesus tells this parable, if you keep reading in chapter 12, he goes from telling the parable to don't worry. So he says, hey, hey, listen, you know, there's a rich guy that's, that, that, that got really fortunate and blessed with all this extra stuff. So he keeps it all for himself. And God points out that that was a really bad decision. The very next thing Jesus starts talking about is, hey, don't worry now. Don't worry about your circumstance. Don't worry about where it's going to come from. Don't worry. Don't worry. And you know what the very next thing he talks about is? Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when he comes back. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're watching. Make sure you're active. Make sure you're busy. Make sure you're, make sure you're advancing the gospel. Make sure. It's beautiful how all those things work together. He says, listen, don't just store up all this stuff for yourself. Don't worry about what you need. And to be ready for when he comes. Motivation is the key. He says, be ready all the time in Luke 12, 35. Be dressed ready for service. And keep your lamps burning. He said, man, be ready. Be ready. All right, now watch this. You say, well, okay, this is all great. How does this play out? Anybody ever play basketball in here? I think they have this in soccer. I don't know that they have it in football. It's the old give and go. You heard that? The give and go. The give and go. It's really easy. Actually, it's really easy. There's a guy with a ball. We'll say he's out at the top of the key. The guy's got the ball. And then there's another guy over here. Right? For now, we'll call him the ball hog. Everybody knows that guy on the team, right? So the give and go, the way this is supposed to work is the guy with the ball throws it to the guy over here. I'm going to give it to him. Everybody understand that? Bounce pass, whatever you got to do. You got to get, get him the ball, get him the ball, get him the ball, give and go. But then I give it to him. And then what do I do? I go to the net, right? I go straight to the rim. But what he's supposed to do? He's supposed to give it back to me, Right? Now, here's what happens. Here's what happens with the church. God's a point guard up at the top of the key, right? He's up there. He's got some skills. He's like, one hand, he's pointing at people, you know. <laughs> and what does he do? He says, I'm going to give it to you. You ready for this? I'm going to give it to you. He might even do a fancy, he may even go like that. <laughs> like that. And then he gives it to us, right? When he gives it to us, there's an expectation that when the gospel goes forward, that we will what? That when you catch the ball over here, that you already knew. See, the thing about the give and go is you can't do it like this. You can't go like Give me the ball. You can't do that because everybody knows then, right? You have to already know what you're going to do with it. He gives you the give and go wink. He's like, dribble the ball. He may hold up too because that'll fake him out like you're going to play the second play, but you're not. You're going to do the give and go. So he's like, like wink, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. 
boom, he gives it to you. The gospel takes off. Now your job is you already know where he's going. Because why? Because you have a plan up front. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, man, I just realized we're sleeping on top of $100 bills. I don't even know what to do with all this money. No, no, no. He passed it to you. You receive it. Here's where it breaks down. In the church, we take the ball, dribble it out of the gym. Like, it's a pretty nice ball. And we just dribble it right out of the gym, get in our car, drive home. What'd you do tonight? I don't know. Jesus passed me the ball during a game. I came, I came, nice ball, so I came home. I just thought, I just thought, man, I've never felt the ball that nice before, so I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to shoot it and scratch it. I didn't, if I shot it and missed, everybody else might have a chance to get it. There's a whole other sermon there, huh? <laughs> so he's up there dribbling. And he's looking. He's saying, hey, this guy knows what the deal is. I'm going to pass it to him. Boom. Pass it to him. You receive it. Now, it's your job. If we want to score here, everybody knows you're not a good outside shot. Everybody already knows that. But everybody knows the guy that isn't an out good outside shot, if he's a ball hog, he'll take the shot anyway. I don't know about you, but I hated guys like that. Shooting five foot behind the free, the, the free throw or the, the three point line, you're a freshman in high school, you weigh a hundred pounds, and you think you're gonna make it. Pass the ball. You must be crazy. He keeps it. Keeps it for himself because he wants the glory. Wants the stats, wants his, wants his points to go up. He wants, wants it for himself, wants, wants people to respect him more, wants, doesn't really care about the team, just wants his, wants his name in the paper for making a three-point shot behind the line, which he'll never do again because he's skinny and he doesn't even deserve to be on the team. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about God is he'll pass it to us anyway. Isn't that crazy? And his sovereign mercy, you were born here. Sovereign mercy, you were given the gifts and talents that you have right now that you woke up with that you didn't even try for most of them. Yeah, you might have increased them a little bit over the years, but he innately gave them things to you. And you wake up in the morning every day and we take it for granted that he just passed us the ball. And then we get all tripped up when he said 10%. You're like, 10%? Man. It's crazy. Then they want to give offerings on top of that. He passes the ball. Now the team scores when the guy that receives the ball already knows that the other guy is going forward. And he says, you know what? I'm not worried about it being the point leader, but I really, really would like to be the assist leader. I'd like to be the assist leader. And so what I'm going to do right now is what we had planned to do from the beginning. And when he passes and cuts, I'm going to feed him the most beautiful bounce pass anybody has ever seen. But if the guy can jump, I might just walk it off the backboard. Let him dunk it in front of everybody. God likes to show off every now and then, doesn't he? 
of those LeBron James like that. (laughs) Here's the thing. The gospel is the goal. The gospel going forward is the goal. And every time he bounces the ball to us, there's an expectation that will feed it. I don't even have to dribble it. A guy that knows what's going on doesn't even dribble it on a, on a give and go, does he? Gets it, feeds it. Gets it, feeds it. Gets it, feeds it. Gets it, feeds it. I know where this is going before he even throws it to me. I'm going to get it and feed it. And Jesus is looking at a whole crowd of people there with the disciples and he's saying, you know what the problem is? The problem is, is when I'm bouncing the perfect pass to somebody and they just keep it. And they ruin the whole game. And they don't realize that what they're trying to do is actually ruining their lives. But if they'd have just bounced it back to me, if they'd have just fed me back, we would have scored. It would have been a win for everyone. Generosity rules the day. And I believe more than ever before, in this building right now, God is feeding us the most beautiful bounce pass we have ever experienced in our lives. He's saying, listen, I'm going to feed you. Don't worry about it. The pass for me will be perfect. Don't worry. Don't worry. The pass for me will be perfect. Boom. All I need you to do is feed it back. Don't pass me half a ball. Don't give me a bad pass. What we practice, feed it back. I guarantee you will score. I ain't seen Jesus miss a dunk yet. But I've seen me miss a lot of three-pointers trying to keep it for myself. Let's go with the sure thing today, huh? The band would come up. We're going to shut this down. Let's go with the sure thing today. Why don't you stand? The sure thing is not me. It's not. I'm going to get all nervous. I'm 5'11". There's going to be a 6'11 guy coming out to the the line on me, and he's going to have his hands up in the air. And I'm going to be like, I think I can make it. What? No, I'm going to go with the sure thing. I'm going to feed him back. I want to win. I don't want to come close to winning. I don't want to barely win. I want to annihilate the opponent. I want to beat them so bad that they don't even want to come back to the state anymore. They won't play anybody else ever. I want to annihilate the opponent. So why not go with the sure bet every time? I believe that the only way to annihilate the opponent in the spiritual world is to what? Make sure the gospel goes forward. He, he created us to be on offense. And generosity only makes sense when the gospel's going forward. We're all already rich. So when he feeds us this week, when he passes that beautiful pass to you that a guy with no hands could catch, and you receive it, have a plan already. 
of how you're going to dish it back. Have a plan already on how that beautiful past is going to be continued some way, somehow into the kingdom. Have a plan already that when he passes to you and takes off for the, for the net, that you're already feeding it back to him. There's no question about it. You don't have to talk it over. There's a plan in place. And I can tell you right now that as long as you are faithful with what he's given you, he'll keep dishing you those passes. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, I want to be the assist leader in heaven. Because it's not me that saves anyone. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So if I can assist him every time, there's another one, Lord. There's another one, Lord. There's another one, Lord. You save him. You save him. I'm just rounding them up. You save him. You save him. Come on, you keep passing the ball. I keep feeding you. You save him. You save him. When I get to heaven, he says, hey, man, you led the league in assist. Yeah. I don't want it just a participation trophy. I want to lead in something. Amen. I want to be out front in it. And that's what I believe he's called us to do. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, your goodness to us is above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, you've blessed us beyond beyond 90% of the people on the face of the planet. Lord, we are blessed. You have fed us the ball, Lord. And I pray that our plan would be to feed it back to you. That because of the window that you've given us, we recognize that this is our time and that we will send it back. God, I pray that these next three weeks you'd speak to us, God. You'd help us develop individually a plan to make sure your gospel goes forward. You'd burn it into our hearts. You'd change our mindset. Lord, we'd reorganize our lives around the gospel going forward. And Lord, we pray that at the day we meet you, we wouldn't hear full, but we'd hear well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Lord, we're excited for the opportunity you've given us. And we pray that we'd be faithful to do our part. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?